Good morning, everyone. How many of you watched that movie? It's an oldie. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, my message has something to do with this video. Maybe we'll see a little bit later on. Uh, My name is Kelly. Uh, We've kind of come to be known as the missionary family. If you haven't met us, I'm Kelly Missionary, and that's my wife, uh, Vicki Missionary, and our children, Alyssa and Stephen Missionaries. And uh, for the past 24 years, we have been working in Eastern Europe. Uh, God is doing wonderful things in the former Soviet Union, and, and I hope this morning to share a few things with you and uh, to challenge you in uh, missions. Uh, Eastern Europe is, is uh, a country, well, we work in six countries in Eastern Europe. It's about 10 time zones, 220 million people. And I was sharing with a group, a home group here from Hope a couple weeks ago, how about 800 years ago, this part of the world was uh, ruled by the Mongolian Empire. And Kublai Khan was the leader at the time, and the story goes how Marco Polo actually met with Kublai Khan and shared Jesus with him. And he talked about offering Christianity for this part of the world, for the Mongolian Empire. And Kublai Khan was very open to that. He said, send missionaries. Marco Polo goes back to Europe, challenges the church. Only two people went. What an opportunity to affect a whole empire. Only two missionaries went. One died actually in in the land of Ukraine, what's now called Ukraine. What an opportunity. How many of you remember the Soviet Union days, right? (laughs) And we were all praying for the Soviet Union to open up to the gospel. Now it's open, and now we need missionaries. People have been going over the past 20, 25 years, but still uh, we lack missionaries. So I know actually, I'm very excited for Hope Church here because I know that you are about to send three missionaries from your church Uh, to Eastern Europe to work with us. So we're very, very happy about that. Very excited. Thank you for uh, supporting them and and blessing them to work with us. Um, Actually, I've called the airline, and uh, they told me, they told me that there are like three or four seats left on the plane. So, Pastor Paul, is that okay? Can three or four more join us uh, from uh, from Hope here? Is that going to work? (laughs) Sure, absolutely, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Uh, We work with about, uh, this is a picture of our staff. We work with about 200 uh, people uh, uh, with Youth of the Mission in Eastern Europe. Uh, We're working in 25 cities throughout throughout, uh, Ukraine and Russia and Belarus, Georgia, Armenia, these countries, Moldova. Half of them, I would say, our staff are from Eastern Europe. The other half are from countries all around the world. Uh, we're involved in different types of ministry. Our three categories are basically evangelism, training, and mercy ministry. So especially in the 90s, we did a lot of evangelism and church planting. Many, many people came to know Jesus. We still do that. We don't do it so much on the streets like in the photo there. But um, uh, some of it is just one-on-one in the marketplace, uh, going to where the people are at, door-to-door even. Uh, we're involved in a lot of different types of training and education. Uh, We helped start a a Christian university in Eastern Europe, equipping believers to be salt and light in society. And of course, we do mercy ministry as well, helping the poor. Um, Some of my favorite ministries are working with the orphans. In fact, uh, Chelsea will be doing that uh, uh, very shortly. Another one is our dental truck. It's a very cool ministry. Someone donated us this mobile dental clinic where we're able to go into villages and and orphanages, uh, places where people do not see a dentist. And we invite dentists to come with us. They fix people's teeth, 
and then we work with local churches who share the gospel to the people. Wonderful ministry. Um, there's opportunities out there for anybody in the body of Christ to join us. In the last, uh, <clears throat> last three years, uh, my wife and I have been feeling that um, God has kind of expanding our vision to be a little bit more global. So in the past three years, we've been helping people to pioneer uh, new, new projects, new mission centers around the world. And in particular, we have been focusing here on Phoenix and in British Columbia, Canada. And so in Canada, we'll be up there in, in, in a couple of weeks. We'll be teaching in a missions training school that we helped start a few years ago, and uh, right before we head back to Ukraine. Uh, and then here in Phoenix, we're, we're working with a golf ministry. Some of you have I've already talked to about that, and some people are like, golf? Well, what's golf have to do with, with missions? And I think by the end of the message, I think you'll get the idea. But uh, let me just tell you a quick story. We're, we're working with, actually, we just helped start a golf, a Bible study at a golf course um, in Gilbert, in southern Gilbert. It's going very well. But last year, I was in Europe, and I was meeting with a bunch of golf missionaries working all around the world, and I heard some fabulous stories. I have to just share this one with you. My friend Tom, he was a missionary to the Philippines, and uh, he wasn't even a golfer, but one day he was listening to the Lord, and God said, I want you to reach golfers. I want you to go to the golf course and share the gospel. So he does that, and uh, he, first people that he met were the caddies. Caddies are people that carry the golf clubs for the golfers, and he started sharing Jesus with them. And he led this one caddy to the Lord. He befriended him. He started discipling him. And, and then he noticed later on that he was actually a very good golfer. And he said to the caddy, well, why don't, you, why don't you play in the tournament that's coming up? And so the caddy was like, well, I really don't have enough money, and I don't know if I can do Well, I will help you. I will help you. You play. Your game is very good. So the, so the caddy played in the tournament. He actually won the tournament. And then the missionary goes to him, Tommy says, he's, well, well, you're very good. Why don't you play on, on the national tour and, and, uh, and play golf? And, and so he did. And to make a long story short, he started winning these tournaments. Then Tom said, well, why don't you play on the Asian tour that plays all over Japan and into China and Philippines and in, even into the Middle East? Well, he did that. And one day, all of a sudden, he's playing in the country of Bahrain. And the king of Bahrain was there to watch the tournament because the king actually owned the golf course. And so he's watching the game, and he sees this Filipino professional golfing, and he hits the ball like on every green, and the ball hits, and actually it spins backwards to, to the hole. And the king's eyes get big, and he's like, how does he do that? This guy is fantastic. So the king goes to this Filipino golfer at the end of the tournament. He says, how much will you make if you win all of the tournaments on the Asian tour in one year. So he's thinking, and he kind of gives out, throws out some kind of a number, and the king says, I will give you double if you will just come and be my golf professional at my golf club here in Bahrain. Well, what does he do? Well, he does it. He does it. But you know what? He's also a follower of Jesus. So what does he do? Well, he ends up starting a, a church in his home, and it's a Muslim nation. It's actually illegal to do that. After four or five months, the police catch him. They arrest him. They go to the king, and they say, King, what, what's the penalty for, people, for someone starting a, a Christian church in our country? And the king says, well, you know, I know it because I wrote the law. It's death. They have to be killed. And they said, well, you know, your friend, the golf pro, 
we caught him starting a Bible study in his home. Well, the king was so sad. And he said, well, since I'm the king, I'm going to have to do something about it. I'm going to change the law. I'm going to change it. And in fact, it'll make those Western countries a little bit more happy with me, you know, be a little bit more open and inclusive. And so he says, I will change the law, and I will allow one Christian church in my country. <laughs> can, can, can you imagine that? I mean, this is 21st century missions today. It's taking the gospel into every area of life. And so this morning, I'd like to talk a little bit, kind of give you the big picture of missions. And I'm going to talk about, the message is entitled, God's Dream, Missions in the 21st Century. And, uh, you know, we all have dreams, and dreams are important. Some of them are God-inspired, and I hope everyone here has, has dreams. But have you ever considered, well, what is God's dream? What is his dream? How could we, as his children, help fulfill his dreams? What are some of his dreams? So I'm going to read off some scriptures. They're going to be up on the screen here. And, and um, they're actually very familiar scriptures in the Bible. I'm sure you, you, you know all of them. But notice the repeated words in these uh, various scriptures. I'm going to read them fairly quickly. The first one is Genesis chapter, three, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And, uh, of course, this is God speaking. He's speaking to Abraham. Abraham, or Abram at that time, he was actually an Iraqi, right? He's from Iraq in the land of Ur. And uh, God is speaking to him and giving him a promise. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. But this is how it goes. It's very familiar. It's like the great commission of the Old Testament. He says this, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Psalms chapter 22, verse 27 says this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. Psalms 57, verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 76, verse 9, God rose up to establish judgment to save all the oppressed of the earth. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says this, go therefore and make disciples or disciple all nations. Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 4, God desires all persons to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And lastly, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Revelation 7, 9, one day standing before the throne, there was a great multitude of people. Well, who were they? People from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne. Isaiah 11, 9, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's dream is to see every person redeemed, all nations transformed. His dream is about, missions is about the all and the every, because missions is about fulfilling God's dream. You know, when I first went to Ukraine 24 years ago, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was a young missionary, still a young missionary. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, just leading a few people to the Lord, wouldn't that be wonderful? Maybe help start a church or two and 
help some people in need, that, that would be wonderful. And that was, that's kind of was my, my dream. But over the years and looking at scripture, God's kind of expanded that dream a little bit bigger. The Great Commission is for the whole church. Every one of us has a part. And this, this morning, I just want to talk a little bit, kind of give you the big picture of missions and talk about two very important aspects. And as I do, I pray that the Holy Spirit would kind of fill in the details and speak to you personally. I can't do that, but I know the Holy Spirit can do that. I just want to just kind of pray that real quick. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we celebrated the resurrection last Sunday and 40 days later, just before you rose up to heaven, you said, go into all the world. And so, Lord, would you speak to us individually? What part of the world do we go into? How can we be a part of fulfilling your dream, the all and the every? So give us ears to hear what you're saying today in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Missions, uh, t- to me, is really about quality and quantity. They go together. Some of the, the two most famous verses that we use in talking about missions in the Great Commission, some of the last words of Jesus found in Mark 16 and Matthew chapter 28. They're both similar, but they're both also a little bit different. Mark 16, 15 says this, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, every person, okay? So we can think about that. Well, how are we doing with that? Have we done that? Where are we in the process? Today we have seven and a half, almost seven and a half billion people on the face of the earth. We know where they live. We know what language they speak. Where are we at? That's a, that's a quantity question. We can count them. Matthew chapter 28 is a little bit different. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is talking about making disciples of all nations. Making disciples. That's more of a quality question. How do you know when we've made a disciple? Well, you may be led some people to the Lord and you started a church and I mean we're all disciples aren't we and we'll be disciples tomorrow and the next day and you know, it's a process of growth it's a quality question and so it, it, we don't just stop at quantity and say okay you're converted and yeah you're a follower of Jesus and that's it good stop and go on right so it, they cut this whole idea of quality and quantity they go together and I want to talk about both of them in a little bit more detail Quantity, 241 nations around the world today. This is what our map looks like. Seven and a half billion people. We, again, we know where they live. And, and 2,000 years ago, when Jesus gave us the great commission to go into all the world, we have to remember Jesus is standing right there in the middle of that map, saying basically, go into all the world. No one's heard the gospel. There are no churches. And so all of a sudden, the gospel went. And we can look at North America, many churches Christian in South America, the same, southern part of Africa, Europe, Australia, all of these ends of the earth have heard the gospel. Many, many churches in this part of the world, in these parts of the world. And our challenges, of course, a lot today are back to where Jesus gave us the Great Commission there in the Middle East. But this is what the world looks like. We can go on to the next slide. Maybe you've seen this. This is, this is very exciting. I love what's happening around the world today and throughout history. So the year 100, the, the, the blue column there, right there on my left, um, the year 100, there were approximately, just as the gospel was beginning to go forth, there were approximately 
360 non-Christians to every one Christian on the face of the earth. Okay? So the gospel and the Acts, right? We read through Acts and they're starting to preach the gospel. Peter preaches and 3,000 people come to know the Lord and it begins to multiply. Then you go, and then the gospel continues to go into all the world. And you see different disciples of Jesus going different places. Andrew, he comes up to Kiev, to the city that, that Anthony and Alicia and Chelsea will be soon visiting, and preaching the gospel. And year 1000, statistics show that approximately there were 270 non-Christians to every one Christian on the face of the earth. The gospel continues. The year 1500, this is the Reformation in Europe. The gospel continues to grow. 85 non-Christians to every one Christian. The year 1900, 21 to 1. The year 1970, 13 to 1. The year 2000, 7 to 1. 7 to 1. The year 2020, we're not sure yet. Probably 5 to 1, I don't know. But do you see that? Christianity is growing. More and more people are coming to know Jesus all around the world. Hallelujah, that's right. Let's go to this next list of of quantity. Did you know that over 160,000 people come to know Jesus every single day around the world? In China alone, 35,000 people come to know Jesus every single day. The fastest growing and the largest church in the world is in a communist country. 5,400 new churches are planted every single week around the world. I mean, people think, oh, you know, what's happening, and God's kind of, maybe God's dead, or, (laughs) yeah. In Ukraine, uh, our first 10 years that we were there, we saw 1,000% church growth rate. This is in the 90s. Just our mission alone in the 90s, we saw over 30,000 people come to know Jesus. That's working with about 60 churches in 30 different cities. Many more came to know Jesus. That's just what we were doing, the numbers we were uh, calculating. A few months ago, we had a brother here from Frontiers working in the Muslim world. This is one of the statistics he said. In the last 10 years, more Muslims have come to know Jesus than the last 1,000 combined. Do you remember when he said that? It's amazing what God's doing in the the, um, uh, Muslim world today. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I heard a report that there were ISIS militants um, having visions of Jesus, laying down, and, and they laid down their weapons, and they began to follow Jesus. ISIS. I mean, isn't that wonderful? God can reach anybody. God can reach anybody. Here's another one that I love. 2012, 25 million people came to know Jesus through the internet. You know how many people are sitting at home? They're kind of afraid to come to a church, <laughs> but they're online, and they're Googling, how do I know God? How can I know God? And there's this wonderful uh, mission organization. They're a small group of people, and they're known as um, cyber missionaries or online missionaries. And, and if we go to this website called Great Commission 2020, and if you go home and you go online, you do that, it actually shows you an, a live um, picture of people all over the world uh, clicking on some of their websites in many different languages hearing the gospel or reading the gospel and responding to Jesus, giving, and, and these people are clicking and saying, I want to follow Jesus. And, and do, you, do you know that the statistics are over 70,000 people a day are saying yes to Jesus? There, there's almost a half a million that are on these websites reading about the gospel but not making a decision. About 70,000 a day are making a decision. I'm not sure how serious these decisions are online, but what excites me is the next statistic with that. About 10% of those, about 7,000 people a day say, 
you know what? I really mean it. Could someone disciple me? Who would disciple me? What a wonderful ministry that would be. From your own home, you could be making disciples in Africa right here from, China, uh, from Chandler. <laughs> and into China. <laughs> People are looking to be discipled. Maybe you can't go for some reason, but if you have a computer and an internet connection, you can be making disciples. That's like one megachurch starting every single day around the world. Our global need is still huge. These are exciting statistics and God's doing wonderful things, but of course, we still have a lot to do. Two billion people approximately still have not heard the gospel. 40,000 children die every single day because of hunger and unclean water. 30 million people are caught up in, human, uh, in the human sex trade today, modern-day slavery. We have challenges, persecution. Some of the unreached people groups out there are, are very challenging to get to. Western humanism is a challenge here in the West today, here in the United States and Canada, where I'm from. Some are saying that humanism is much more of a challenge than Islam. Eastern Europe. We saw many challenges over the years. When we first got there, you know, when the Soviet Union collapsed, it's like every area of society collapsed. When we, when we got to Ukraine, they had no constitution. They were an independent nation for the very first time in, in their history. They've always been taken over by someone. So now they're trying to put this government together and they're writing their constitution. It took them five years to write their constitution. And we were there right in the middle of it. And they were like, well, how do we do this? What do we say? What should it look like? They had challenges in the church. Yeah, there was huge growth in the church. Churches would, in three months, the church would grow to 1,000 people. Not a problem. But then three, four, five months later, they're down to 70 people. How do you disciple 1,000 brand new believers it, by yourself as a pastor? <laughs> it's a huge challenge. And so they had, they had many social challenges. Uh, statistics showed that uh, uh, eight out of 10 men were considered alcoholic, and with that comes a, a lot of uh, abuse in the home. Uh, uh, women, by the age of 40, have an average of eight abortions. Street kids, the numbers of street kids were, were growing in Eastern Europe. People were looking for answers. Right around the mid-90s, during this sort of mini-revival happening in Russia and Ukraine, a, a, a Russian politician, he made a, a, a statement to the West. He said this, Please, no more evangelists. Send us someone who knows something. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm sitting there in Kiev and I'm listening to this, and really, he's not saying no evangelists, but he's like, do you have anything else to offer? We have a broken government, a broken economy, broken uh, social structure. Does the Bible say anything about that? Or are you just trying to get us out of here? They're looking for answers, and we see that actually happening all over the world today. People are looking for answers. What is God's way here on earth? What are his principles that we can live by? And so these... His question is actually a quality question. I want to talk about that for a moment. So in missions, we often talk about these seven spheres of society. And this is something that 
that during the Reformation, guys like Luther and, and Calvin and Zwingli, they, they talked about because when, when uh, the scriptures were so foundational to the Reformation, and they talked about how the scriptures spoke to every area of life. It wasn't just our, you know, spiritual uh, disciplines or what we do on Sunday, but the Bible was very relevant for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, every area of life. And so um, uh, when we talk about nations in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we're really talking about these spheres of society because all nations have these spheres. All nations have some form of government or economics. They're all made up of families. Families are the foundation of every nation. They all have some form of communication or media, celebration, which is arts and entertainment and sports, education. That's just normal. That's, that's every nation. And what's exciting is to, is to know that the Bible teaches us about God's ways in all of life. Did you know that the Bible, that there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible just about economics? 2,000. There's about 350 verses about salvation. There are whole books in the Bible about government. Whole books. Think about Joshua. He was the leader of the nation in Israel. That whole book is about government. Kings, first and second kings, that's the title of the, of the book. That's government. Judges is another one. These are wonder, God has wonderful things to teach us. There are many scriptures about the family, many about economics, many about education, science, healthcare even, in the Bible. I remember around 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, a large group in our mission came together and started working on this project. They said, okay, let's find these scriptures. And just last year, a number of months ago, around seven months ago, they came up with this um, app, a free download you can get on your smartphone or on your tablet. It's called the SourceView app. It's a Bible. And basically what you do is you can open up any book of the Bible, like Deuteronomy or Mark, and then just click on one of those seven spheres, and it will highlight every verse according to that sphere. We found this tremendously important in Eastern Europe because all these people are coming to know Jesus, and they were saying, well, you know, it's been a few years now. We know how to be a Christian on Sunday, but how do you be a Christian on Monday? How do I be a businessman following Jesus in the marketplace? What does that look like? What does the Bible have to say about that? or a politician, or a lawyer, or a science teacher, whatever it may be. Because most of our time, as the church, is spent out there, Monday to Friday. And God has much, much to teach us. I remember, I remember uh, just after a few years, we were in Ukraine. We got there in 1993. 1995 happened. And there was a huge civil war in the country of Rwanda, in Africa. Now, it shocked the missions world because Rwanda in missions was known as the Pearl of Africa. It had the longest revival in all church history, like 50-year revival. We were kind of like, hmm, this is a pretty good job we've done here. They went from 3% Christian to 70% Christian. And then all of a sudden, 1995, civil war, a quarter of the, there were only a country of 4 million people, 1 million people died. Can you imagine that? And, and the missionaries around the world were like, oh, what did we do or what did we not do? And a lot of times, in the last hundred years, a lot of times in missions we've been focusing a little bit too much on the quantity and not the quality. 
We've been making converts, getting people saved, but not making disciples and teaching them about God's ways in all of life. In all of life. I'm very excited that this is the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. And I think that um, we need some of that kind of thinking back and, and work all around the world. Jesus is our example. You know, when we talk about, oftentimes in missions, we talk about taking the gospel of salvation to the nations. But, you know, when we look at the life of Jesus, every time he referred to the gospel, it was always the big gospel. It was all, he always referred to it as the gospel of the kingdom. It wasn't just the gospel of getting someone just saved, but it was, it was much bigger than that. Salvation was just the birthing process. It was just the beginning. It wasn't the end. And so he talked about this kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4, 17, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Over 150 times, actually, Jesus talks about the kingdom. Every parable is about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this. And the kingdom is about this heaven coming to earth, this kingdom coming. And in Matthew chapter 6, 10, Jesus prays for this kingdom to, to come, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is his dream, the all and the every. So our question should be, God, what's your will for my family? What is your will for my job, my workplace, my business? What is your will for my nation and for my government in my nation? You know, we, it, we're, we're always, oftentimes we're good at kind of pointing out what's bad in, in our world. Well, you know, Hollywood this, and our government that, and our school systems that. We all know what's wrong with it. Maybe that's a good place to start. But we need to move from that to say now, okay, this is wrong, but this is what's right, and this is how to get from here to there. That's discipling nations. That's, that's being involved in, in the all and the every. Martin Luther, he said this, if the gospel does not speak to our current social problems, it's not the gospel. It's not good news. The Bible, the reformers understood that the Bible was for all of life. I remember hearing the, um, the story before, uh, before the Constitution was, um, was signed here in the United States and, 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 and just before that, the Declaration of Independence, one of the signers was a guy named uh, Reverend John Witherspoon. Reverend John Witherspoon. He was also the president of, of um, Princeton, Princeton University. So he, he himself, he's a, a reverend, right? Obviously involved in education as well in this university. He himself personally discipled one U.S. president, one U.S. vice president, three Supreme Court justices, and over 40 other um, people in government at that time in, in various levels of government. God's word is for all of life. We're all called somehow to be part of the Great Commission. What sphere has God placed you in? In other words, where will you be tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. if you're not retired? <laughs> where will you be? That's your mission field. And it's not, so when you go to that sphere, don't just think quantity, maybe just, you know, trying to, get someone saved, but think quality as well. Put them both together. Say, how can I reflect God's kingdom here in this sphere of society that God's put me in? Quality and quantity. This is what missions is all about. I love there's a movement happening. It started a number of years ago called Call to All. It's calling all of the body of Christ 
to, all, to go into all the world, both geographically and vocationally, every sphere of society. The Reformation, seven, uh, 2017, these are some uh, friends I know in, in Europe, and um, of course celebrating the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation, but saying, hey guys, let's not be passive. Let's continue, continue to be proactive like Luther was. What are, consider, what would be, what should be the new 95 Theses of today? What kind of message should we be giving to our nations? And I love this one, 2025. I'm very excited about this. Wycliffe Bible Translators is probably the largest organization in the world with Bible translation. There's others. But there's a lot of unity happening amongst mission organizations and the body of Christ to see um, different things accomplished. And one of them is Bible translation. And because of the unity and the working together, they estimate that by the year 2025, they will start the, la the translation of the Bible into the last lang major language of the world. There's over 6,000 languages in the world. It took us 2,000 years to do it. But this is the generation that gets to see it fulfilled. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. And because of technology, it no longer takes 30 or 40 years to translate the Bible. It takes only about seven years to do it. So I was thinking about that, and I'm like, well, 2025 and seven years, that's almost 2033, which is, you know, we're celebrating the resurrection last Sunday. Jesus was around 30. It's almost exact. Wouldn't that be a wonderful birthday present for Jesus, that his word would be in every single language of the world? Okay, it's pretty quiet. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. So here's my application. Having a global, both a global and a local vision. Global and local vision. Just four points. Adopt a nation. Maybe you already have one. Okay, add, add another to your list. Start praying for a nation other than your own. That God's kingdom will come. That God would send forth missionaries. Support a missionary in that nation. Be praying for them. Commit to it for the next two, three years. Think globally. Be active globally right here from, from the United States. Number two, ask God for a vision for the sphere that you're in. What sphere has he placed you in? You're not there by accident. Maybe it's an education. Maybe you have your own business. Maybe you're a doctor, a lawyer, an artist, a journalist. Say, God, how could you use me in this sphere? Quality and quantity. Seeing your kingdom come. Your will. What's your will? What's the vision you have? Thirdly, download the Source View Bible app. Equip, equip yourself. Look at that sphere and start looking at the Bible that way and reading Scripture according to that sphere that God's placed you in. We work with a number of businessmen in Eastern Europe. They absolutely love it. Giving them wonderful principles of God's word for their businesses. They want to be salt and light. We're not salt and light automatically just because we're a Christian, right? We're salt and light when we walk in obedience to his word. And the last one is to be glocal. <laughs> Someone's coined that word a few years ago. Global and local at the same time. I think if you do the first two, you will be glocal. William Carey said this, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And I highlighted the word expect because 
You know, when I first started missions, again, I'm just kind of thinking quite small. I'm not going to attempt some big things because I wasn't. And, and, and you know, my vision for missions was small, probably because my vision of Jesus was small. Let's go to the next slide. The gospel is bigger than you think. Yes, it is. The message of hope and redemption for humanity and creation is really all about Jesus. Yes. And here's one of the most important parts. Jesus is our Savior, but he's not just our personal Savior. He's the Savior of all the nations. He's Lord of the nations. Yes. And think about these other titles of Jesus. He's the King of all kings, the Bible says. That's the sphere of government. He's the Word of God. That's the basis of communication in the media. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's our provider, the Bible says. That's the sphere of economics. Uh, we can only do these things because we're made in God's image. It's all about him. He's the son. That's family. He's the great teacher. That's education. He's the good shepherd, the pastor. That's the sphere of the church. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's all about Jesus. These, these spheres of society are not just good ideas or these scriptures are not just good ideas. They show us who Jesus is and where to reflect his glory in all the earth. There was a sequel to the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, right? I mean, to me, it's like, Honey, I Shrunk the Gospel. I don't know what I was doing, but, but the, sequel, the sequel was, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. And so that's my message this morning. Let's blow up the gospel. Let's think of missions a little bit broader. Let's think about the all and the every, quality and quantity. And I'll finish with this last thought. You are God's strategy to reach the world for Jesus and to fulfill his dream. What an honor. What a privilege. This was Jesus' idea. He says, you go into all the world. You make disciples. He's not going to send his angels, although sometimes he does. But normally, throughout Scripture and history, he sends us. We get to be a part of fulfilling his dream. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that exciting? And so my encouragement, so be encouraged this morning. I hope you are. God's not dead. He is moving all around the world ever since the resurrection. Continues to do that today in, in exciting ways. But the second thing is be Be challenged. Be challenged. Think about the, the all and the every, the, the quantity and the quality. And like my uh, golf pro, uh, missionary friend, um, be challenged to listen to God and do something that's different. Golf was not his thing, but God said go, and he obeyed. Amen? I just want to pray for you this morning. <laughs>